0: So good to see you. I was uh, gone last Sunday on vacation and uh, Alex Garman did a phenomenal job. If you missed last Sunday, listen online. And I just want to give a shout out to those who are listening online. Perhaps they're volunteering in our children's ministries or maybe uh, they're traveling or perhaps they are sick or they're just playing hooky and not here at church today. But I just want to say hi to those who are listening online. We're in the midst of a series, actually towards the end of a series, called The Top Ten Verses to Memorize. And hearing from a number of you and also for me in my own experience that this has been a transformative series for us as we've sought to really bring God's Word into our lives by memorizing. It's one of the best things that we can do to grow spiritually. And last week, uh, Alex preached on the text of Romans 12, uh, verse 2, and we've been challenging you to uh, bring it, to uh, film yourself memorizing Scripture and submitting that, and uh, we have our video uh, from this uh, past week for the um, Sunday thing. Okay, I like it. Um, the Romans one, Romans 12 too? Yes. And you know how Craig always likes um, NLT? Yes. New, trans, new, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do NIV. NIV, okay. okay. I'd be a little different. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm okay. also. That's true. I do too. Okay. Um, okay. <sighs> do not be conformed... Wait. But I have to go, do it with you. Okay. okay. All right. Right. Okay. Do, do not, not be conformed, conformed to the patterns of this of world, world. Instead, be transformed by the, by the renewing, renewing of, of your mind. Then, then you will know. And when, no. <laughs> yes, test then you proof. will cast approve yes. what God's perfect will, will is. is, His good, yes. pleasing, yes. and perfect will. Woo! <laughs> 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 I, I like I like the the blurry filter on the camera. That was really, really nice. So we'll uh, have Carrie and Julie. Where are you? There they are. Carrie, you are wearing the same outfit. <laughs> that. not... Here you go. I gave them dark chocolate dove candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's going to kill me. Sorry. All right. Well, as we uh, jump into our passage for uh, this week, I want to begin actually with a question. What is the most important thing for you to do with your life? What is the most important thing to do with your life? The years that you have here on earth. And maybe you respond by saying, well, it's, it's, it's to love God. I'm in church, I'll say that. It's to love God. And you'd be partly right. The other part is to love others. To love God and love others. Life is a giant lesson on love. Because for us, life isn't about acquisitions, it's not about accomplishments, it's not about achievements, it's not about the the kind of cars you have, the, the number of cars, your houses, your bank accounts. Your life is really about learning how to be a great lover, a great lover of God and a great lover of others. And for us to grow in that. And this morning's passage illustrates that. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 22, we're going to start with uh, verse 37. And I'm going to give some context because uh, when Jesus gives this well-known command, and I, I uh, read a little bit in, uh, from Deuteronomy in the Shema, it's to love the Lord your God with your soul uh, and with your mind, your strength, etc., but he, Jesus is confronted by these guys called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were not great lovers of God, and they were not great lovers of others. They were, in fact, they were great lovers of themselves. They were great lovers of legalism. In the 6, 613 commands in the Old Testament, they wanted to, to find people who messed up or, or did not follow the commands correctly, and they wanted to catch them. And that's exactly what they're trying to do with Jesus is, is they, they're talking to him and they want to trap him. And they say, if you're to sum up the whole uh, Bible, which is the Old Testament that day, and they're t- talking to Jesus, if you're to sum up the entire Bible, uh, what's the most important command? The 613 commandments, what is the most important? And in verse 37, Jesus replies, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's been our custom that it, this is the passage for this week in verses 37 and 38 is, that, is actually to say this out loud together. So let's say this out loud and we're going to re- repeat this verse, these passages, starting with verse 37. Let's, let's say it together as a church. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So in a way, what, what Jesus is saying is that, if really to summarize the entire Bible, it's found in these two commands. Love God and also to love others. It's kind of the cliff notes. The cliff notes on what it means to be a Christian. The cliff notes on the Bible. This is something that's so important for us. For us to learn how to be a great lover of God and how to be a great lover of others. And my friend Ryan Braley, uh, back in January, seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, he preached on uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that passage that I read called the Shema. And he actually focused his sermon on that on, on Sunday. We had our church retreat during that time. And he actually talked about how to love God. So I encourage you to listen to that because I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the second part. I'm going to focus on loving others. And before I do that, let me pray. God in heaven, we want to learn on how to be great lovers of you and great lovers of others, our neighbors. And God, that doesn't come instinctively for us because we get caught up in our stuff, our world, and we get really busy. We get so consumed with the things in front of us. We work a lot of hours, responsibilities with the kids, school, etc., So God, I I pray that you kind of strip that away this morning. That you would take away those things and and help us to focus on you. To focus on how to love you and how to love others. And in doing so, that you would be glorified. God, I pray for your anointing upon this sermon. I pray that you would speak in and through me um, to our church community. And that for people, they would walk away taking another step in their faith journey in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Learning to be a great lover of people. That's what I want for you. I want you to be known as the most loving person in your school or your neighborhood or your workplace or your family. In fact, I was talking to a mutual friend last night. We were having dinner and I was telling him about a a volunteer, one of the best volunteers I had as a youth pastor. And I, I was talking about an accident that she had, and, and she was in, she's in the ICU in Denver after a snowmobile accident. And I, I, I caught myself. I said, you know what, Brad? She, she's the, probably the most loving person I've ever known. I want that to be for you. I want when people talk about you, they say, so-and-so is the most loving person that I know. And I think for us to take that step, to, to really look at what Jesus is talking about, Loving others and incorporating that in our lives is very important. And I think for us, at least I can say it for myself, I don't do that the best. I don't love my neighbor as myself. I don't do a good enough job at times of really loving others. And yet Jesus gives us this commandment. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times. It's mentioned in the Bible ten times. And when something is mentioned by Jesus and Paul, 10 times in the Bible, it's really important. You've got to pay attention to it. So it's also mentioned in another passage. I'm going to have you turn to this, and I'm going to uh, focus the rest of the sermon on this passage because Jesus repeats this as he engages with a teacher of the law. It's in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to turn to verse 30. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Actually, excuse me, back up a, a Verse 29. Because again, this sort of religious person comes up to Jesus and, and asks him, you know, what's the most important thing to do with your life? And and Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then this man, he asks the ten million dollar question. He asks, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I want that question to sink in this morning for you. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, and he tells probably the most famous story he's known for, the story of the Good Samaritan. And this story has been so well known over centuries of time. There's hospitals, hundreds, thousands of hospitals around the world that are called the Good Samaritan Hospital based on this story. And Jesus tells the story as an illustration of who is your neighbor. So you pick up in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, okay? This is kind of a side note right here. This, this little road uh, from Jerusalem down to Jericho was straight down a mountain. It's like going to the top of one of the mountains that we call mountains, the really hills at Lutzen, and actually going down one of those. And that's the kind of route this was uh, taking place. And it was very curvaceous. There was a lot of crevices. And this road was very dangerous, bandits and, and gangsters and robbers would hide around on this road to rob people. So the listeners of the story would have known this. When Jesus talks about going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, there's only one way they would have known that. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, circle that, that phrase. I'm going get to get to that in a second. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant, also known as a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. It's almost like a sort of a joke that we have these days, right? Did you hear that one about the rabbi, the priest, and the, you know? It's kind of like that that sort of feel to it. The Levite walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then, and here's the page-turner, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over, him, over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him into an inn where he took care of him. So what I want us to do is really look at this passage, because what this passage talks about is uh, it illustrates how to love, how to be a great lover of other people. In doing so, it, it sort of reveals three attitudes— if you've taken notes this morning, I'd like you to follow along your teaching notes. It gives us three attitudes when it comes to loving our neighbor, loving others. The first attitude, we see it in the priest, is I can keep my distance. We notice that. Look at, look at verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem. He was stripped of his clothes. He's naked. He's beat up. By chance, so it's, it's spontaneous, The priest comes along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. He wants to avoid it. He doesn't want to get his hands messy. That's an attitude that we can have when it comes to loving our neighbors, that we can keep our distance. We can have avoidance. We, We can stay away. We don't want to get involved. And it's this attitude in life that we don't want to get too close to people because they may need us. They may ask for help. So you keep your relationships at a distance because you don't want to get involved. You don't want to get too close. So we keep our neighbors at a, at a distance. In Minnesota, it's, it's a very common lifestyle, isn't it, for us? It's very easy for us to have this pattern of life where we avoid people a lot, even people who live right next door to us because we have this thing called a garage door opener. And we drive up and we click it and the garage door opens up. We drive in, we click it again, and it closes. I moved to a townhouse in Plymouth last July, and I've gotten to know some of my neighbors, wonderful neighbors. But some of them I haven't seen in four or five months. And that's what happens, is that we keep relationships at a distance. And I'm not faulting them. I mean, I I should be walking over and and really uh, uh, investing in those relationships. But it's easy for us, isn't it? It's easy for us to have this attitude of avoidance, to not get too involved, to keep people at our workplaces at a distance or people at our schools or people um, even in our our families. Keep them at a distance. I don't want to get involved in your drama and your stuff because I have enough of it in my own life. So that's one attitude. Another attitude is this. I can be curious but, but uninvolved. And we see that in the Levite, don't we? In verse 32, A temple assistant walks over, looks at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite, this temple assistant, is worse. He actually comes up to him and looks at him, and he he sees the wounds, he sees the blood, and then he decides, you know what, I'm curious, but I'm going to go to the other side of the road. And we, we see the first two people, and Jesus puts the story together on purpose, a priest and a Levite, so-called religious people. But here's the deal. Religion does not make you more loving. Okay? Religion does not make you more loving. It's important for us to know. And we might say, you know what, I would never do that. But I think we do it all the time, don't we? We're on a freeway, we, we see a car accident or something like that, and we just stare. We gawk. And sometimes we get mad at the cars in front of us because they're going so slow, everybody's gawking. How many times have you and I have actually pulled over on the side of the road and actually got out and walked over and see what kind of assistance that we could offer? But you see, that's the thing. It is, these things are spontaneous. And you and I have schedules. We have agendas. We don't have the, the time. We have to get from A to B. And we don't have the time to slow down and help somebody. So we see that with the priest. We see that with the Levite. And I think for us, we like to stare. We, we don't want to stop. We enjoy, I think at times, reading about or gossiping about the pain of other people. That's why a lot of these people magazines, different magazines like that at, at the newsstand in the checkout lane are so popular because it talks about all the pain and struggles of other people and we love to read that. We love to read their scandals, the difficulties. And it makes us no better than a Levite. He walks over, sees the guy, he's naked, he's bleeding, and it's very interesting, and he walks on and, and leaves. And, and maybe back in the day, perhaps, he, he would maybe post it on Facebook or something. His social media was around back then. He stares, but he doesn't stop. And we finally, we get to the, the Samaritan. This is very significant. Because if you heard this story for the first time, there is no way in your your imagination you would ever think that the Samaritan would be the hero of the story. Because Samaritans were half-Jews who lived uh, among the Jewish people. They were half-breeds. And because of that, they were sort of like half a person. Uh, They were dehumanized. They were looked down. The, the Jewish people absolutely hated the Samaritans, despised them. It reminded me of when I was in the Dominican Republic and I realized just how much tension, racial tension there is between Haitians and Dominicans. It's very much like this, that with, with the, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, this, this tense hatred. Samaritans were half human, half citizen, and not worthy of respect. But this becomes the hero of the story. This man, the Samaritan, becomes the hero of the story. He's helping a Jewish man. It'd be like telling this story to a group of white supremacists, and a white supremacist is the one who's actually on the, on the road, and he's bleeding, and all of a sudden a Muslim person comes along and tends to him. It'd be a shocker if you were in a white supremacist group. It'd be a shocker. No way. Really? Exactly what Jesus is getting at. And he'd love to do that. And the third attitude is this, and we see this in the Good Samaritan, is that I can treat them how I want to be treated. It's the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. Always treat other people, says Jesus. Always treat other people like you want to be treated. And that's the third attitude. The third attitude. So as we kind of look at the Good Samaritan, what I want to do right now is break it down into specific steps that you can take. Seeing the Good Samaritan in action. There are three different things that he does that I want to highlight. First of all, um, what he does, he sees the need. So for us to be a great lover of others, to love our neighbor as ourself, I must see their needs. And we see this in the passage. In verse 33, when he saw the man. When he saw the man. And this is the principle of being sensitive. And to be sensitive, you have to be looking. You have to have your eyes open. You have to have awareness. You need to be looking around. You can't have tunnel vision. You've got to be able to look around and see the needs of people around you because your neighbor isn't going to come up to you or others in your life aren't going to come up to you and say, hey, I have this need in my life. Uh, Can you meet that? Very few times that will happen. You need to be the one that takes the initiative by opening your eyes. That's where it begins, to be a good Samaritan, to be a person who's a great lover of others, is that you need to see the needs of people around you. And there's wounded people all around you. There's people who are wounded in the role that you're sitting in. People who are wounded emotionally, relationally, financially. Maybe uh, intellectually they've been wounded. What can you do to come alongside them? Maybe they've been wounded by their parents or wounded by betrayal or wounded by grief. And people all around us are wounded. Will you and I open our eyes enough just to see, maybe spot something where we can then begin a conversation with them to find out we need to see? And I think it's not so much that we don't care. You know, and it's, I don't think it's that we're hard-hearted when it comes to seeing the needs of people. I think it's because we're so busy. Because when you're moving at a fast clip, you don't have time to look around and see the needs of people. When you're moving so fast, you're so busy, your day timer, your schedule is so packed, you don't have time to look around and see the needs because when you're moving fast, it's really hard to notice. It reminds me when I was uh, flying out of Tampa coming home last week from vacation. Um, I got to the airport in Tampa very early. I had plenty of time. And it was interesting to me what that does. I was like Mr. Nice Guy, you know. I would strike up a conversation with the TSA officer, which I'd never do because I really want to get past past that pretty quick. Talking to the security checkpoint people and and all that and and then having a conversation with the Starbucks barista. And I had all this time and I just felt, you know, so nice and so loving. And that's what happens when we have time, you know. I mean, if, if someone would have asked me, you know, can you take a picture of me and my family? I would have said, yes, I have plenty of time. But if I was running late and I had to catch that plane, let's say I was running late, I would not be talking friendly to the TSA agent. I'd be going as fast as possible. And if someone said, hey, can you take a picture of me and my family? I would just kind of look at them and give them a sort of look and just keep moving. Because they wouldn't, wouldn't know I'm my pastor because I'm in Florida, so. <laughs> so... When we have time, we slow down enough. When my kids were young, my son and daughter, Alex and Allison, when they were little, I wanted them to see our great country. I love America, and I love traveling. And I decided when they were young, yeah, you know, financial reasons too, that we weren't going to take plane trips. And if you talk to uh, Alex or Allison, they'll tell you all the road trips we took. We took a lot of road trips. We saw a lot of America. Many, many road trips, west coast, east coast, seeing the beautiful mountains in Montana, seeing those big salt uh, hills, mountains, and, and Salt Lake City, seeing uh, the beautiful Oregon coast and, watch, and actually standing on the cliff area and watching the water crash in and never felt something like that before. And we were able to see that because we were moving slower. We were taking the car, not the plane. We actually got out of the car to even move slower and see it. And seeing in the East Coast, spending time in historical areas like Charleston and Savannah, and seeing the beautiful South, spending time in the beaches in Florida, and spending time um, with the idyllic scenery of North Dakota. Unbelievable. I'm kidding. That, that, that's not memorable. Okay? North Dakota is just the way to get to Montana. Right? You know, it's just, just the way to get to Montana. If you're a North Dakota person, I'm, I'm really sorry. Sorry about that. But anyways, we have to slow down. That's the point. We have to slow down enough to see the needs. So it begins with our eyes. These good Samaritan moments begin with our eyes to slow down long enough to be able to see the needs of people around us. The next, we need to feel their hurts. So it's not just being sensitive. It's also being sympathetic, having sympathy. The Bible says, weep with those who weep. And maybe your response is, you know what? I'm not really equipped to do that. I don't have a personality type. But you can hold their hand. You can listen to them. You can just be physically present. That doesn't take a lot. It's just to be there. And you might think, I can't counsel them. But you can actually be there and just be present. And in doing so, you can feel their pain and feel their hurts. Because the, the way of the heart, for us to really feel a person's Hurts and pains begins by listening. Listening to what they're saying. Really focusing. And I think we've lost that art. The art of listening. Being really intent. Listening to every word. Not having the the smartphone on the side and they're talking and you're kind of looking at text messages or or perhaps shopping online or something. But actually you're listening to every word. I call it first date listening. You remember that? Your first date when you went out? Gary and Joan, remember that? Your, your weight, it's like you're, you're paying attention to every single word. I imagine when Joan was talking, Gary was just focused like a laser, listening to every single word and, and thinking about how, how to respond and thinking of this and thinking of that. And he's thinking right now, he's actually doing it. I love it. And that's and first, date, first date listening. But after a while, you're buried for a while, you kind of lose that first date listening, right? You get home, you're exhausted. And your your spouse is talking, but it's just like, you know, noise, white noise, and you turn the TV on, and pretty soon it's gone. We have to engage back into listening to those people around us, family members, coworkers, our neighbors, to be a great lover of others. We need to feel their hurts and their pains. And that happens by listening. to have sympathy. And I know for me, I have a tendency to lose that at times. I'll, in fact, recently I was at a dinner uh, a few weeks ago, and I was uh, a group of friends, and I have a tendency to really focus on the one person that's primarily talking, but I really don't pay attention to as much to the other people who are there. And I had a mutual friend that was there, and they were talking a little bit. And then after, after the dinner, they told me, because we, we have a strong friendship, they said, Craig, you did it again. You totally... Um, excluded me. You were focusing on him while he was talking and, and I'm off to the side and um, I felt like I wasn't there. And we have the kind of relationship I said, you know what, thanks so much for doing that. Sometimes I get really defensive but I happen to actually be in a good place where I said, you know what, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks so much for, for telling me that because I'm aware of that. I have to work on that. So we need to listen. Very important. And then next, we must act. So it's seeing, it's feeling, but it's also acting, to act now. We see that in the Good Samaritan, don't we? Verse 33, Then the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going I'm to call somebody or I'm going I'm to go get somebody else to take care of it because I have a place to go. No, no, it's spontaneous. He puts the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. What's interesting about this, for a number of reasons, is why, why the, the, the oil and, and wine? This guy's not a doctor. He's not carrying a medicine cabinet around. The reason why he's using that is because that's what he has. That's what he's got. It's probably lunch. And coincidentally, though, very good for somebody who has been injured because you have wine, it has alcohol, it's a disinfectant, and put that on the wounds, and then also the oil, it can soothe. And he's able to tend to him. But not only that, not only does he do that, he gives his lunch away, but then he bandages him. Okay? Where does that come from? It's not like the Good Samaritan has a big pack of band-aids with him. And, and where, did the, where did the bandages come from? This guy is naked. He has no clothes. It's probably, probably his own clothes. I'm going to suppose that. It's probably his Calvin Klein shirt. He takes off and rips it and ties it around the wounds and takes care of him. Puts him on his donkey, on his donkey and takes him to an inn and in a store he pays for it. So we have those opportunities to act now. How good it would be for us to actually be more late to things because we have these Good Samaritan moments. I'm sorry I'm not late. I, this is some, something this, this happened and I wanted to help that person. I think we need to be more late to things because of Good Samaritan moments. I know I do. I need to take the initiative. I need to... Um, step out and help people who are in need. To be able to have what I would call these divine interruptions where something happens and we see it and we feel it and we act on it. We don't wait. I love this passage from Proverbs. You see on the slide behind me. This is the message translation. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Here it is. Your hand is God's hand. Don't you love that? Your hand is God's hand. You're there for God, the hands and feet of God to tend to people who are in need. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow. In other words, don't delay these good Samaritan moments. See them, feel them, and act on them. And in doing so, you bring glory to God and we grow in learning how to be a great lover of God and how to be a great lover of others. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your extravagant kindness to us. You sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And God, we do not want to be uncaring or apathetic to those around us, people that are perhaps sitting in our row right now who are hurting. We want to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves and help us this week Help us this week to take these steps forward in doing that. And then you, Maple Grove Covenant Church, I want you just to pray in your heart and say this. Dear God, help me to slow down. Help me to start seeing. Help me to sense the needs of people around me. Give me a spiritual radar. Help me to be a better listener so I can sympathize with people. When interruptions come, help me to see them as opportunities to grow in love, to develop my character. Help me to be willing to take risks and move against my fears in order to help others. Starting today, I want to get better to see, feel, and act. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.